Hello, and welcome to the Macabre Family Podcast. I'm here today with my mom. Hello! We are in my house, so she is on location. Wow. <laughs> wow, that was that was a big trip, too. <laughs> a long <Hey>. drive. <laughs> yes, yes. Today we are here to talk about how the justice system let a whole town down and how the town took the law into their own hands. So you did you do a little, you looked into it a little bit? Um, just from what we did about the bully. The, yeah. The one we, when we did the bully thing. Yeah. So I kind of, I just read a, a couple, blurb. Yeah, yeah, a blurb or two about it. So it's hard with this story when I was like researching it. I'd heard about it before and I, you form an opinion. Yeah. About what happens in the end, spoiler alert, somebody does die, but it's hard to not still have that same opinion at the end. Yep. So I'll let you, everybody else to form It's sad that somebody died, but... But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so living in a small town is totally, is a totally different way of living for sure. We know that living here, where yes. we have less than 10,000 people. Um, everybody knows everybody's business, even in a town like ours. Uh-huh. Where we grew up here, or we're raising our kid here, kind of situation. Oh my goodness, when we first came here, all we had to do was dial the last four digits of a phone number. Didn't you have a party line? Was it a party line? Um, we also had party lines, yes, but we had the private line. <laughs> that's private that's line. how you get the gossip. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. So now imagine living in a small town with no police present except for a sheriff occasionally driving a, a by. But once again, we mm-hmm. did that for a number of years when I was growing up. We lived in a town. No in police. In Lebanon, Maine, which still has no police. Oh, but the sheriff's department or something, the state Yeah, the state troopers come through once in a while. Lawless Lebanon, as they call it. <laughs> <laughs> in small towns, everyone knows you and your family. If you decide to be like the person we were talking about today and make everyone's life miserable, then the whole town will eventually turn against you. It took the town of Skidmore, Missouri a very long time and two near-fatal shootings before they eventually had enough. I'm going to try my best and tell this story without bias, but after reading all the material I have and watching a BuzzFeed Unsolved on it, I'm going to have to say it's very tough. And it's BuzzFeed Unsolved is a little, it's um, it's like 26 minutes show. Yeah. Yeah, you can, they have it on Hulu. And it's two guys, they tell stories, but they're unsolved. So in the end, it's like, the story remains unsolved. So this story is unsolved, but... Um, it's, insinuating that it's really not. It's not, <laughs> yeah. So July 10th, 1981 was the town of Skidmore, Missouri's last day to be an unknown small town. For decades, this town was brought to its knees by a hulking man by the name of Ken Rex McElroy. So I've heard it Mac, McElroy or McElroy. I'm just going to say McElroy. Cause it, McElroy. Yeah. M-C-E-L-R-O-Y. So it's McElroy. Yeah. In every sense of the word, Ken was a bully. We will get into his alt crimes, and boy, there's a lot of them. <laughs> but first, let us get into his life. Ken Rex McElroy was born in Overland Park, Kansas on June 1st, 1934. He was the 15th of... Child? T- yes, of Tony and Mabel McElroy's 16 children. Oh, my God. The family... woman. Can you fucking imagine? Oh, my God. 16... They're walking be, out by then. Yeah, are you walking out? You'd be holding them all in. You'd be holding all your, you know, your whatnot. The family were tenant farmers and moved around before finally setting, settling in Skidmore. Do you know what a tenant farmer is? A what? Tenant farmer? Somebody or sharecropper? Who, sharecropper, somebody who tends the crops for a part of it. So they're basically, they call them farmers without farms. So they yes. rent land to farm. Yes. And I guess, I don't know if they have to give part of their crop or they have to pay. Depends one on, of the, yeah. yeah. So this is how the McElroy family made a living. Since farming is hard work, the kids were pretty much on their own until they were big enough to work on the farm. So 15, 16 That's kids. That's why they had so many yeah. kids. I mean, that this was, was the, the 30s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when Ken was in eighth grade, he dropped out of school for good. So most of what I read about him is he's illiterate, couldn't read or write. Eighth grade, though? Eighth grade, yeah. You'd think you'd be able to read and write. So, I'm thinking about it. He's born in 34. Eighth grade was probably 40-something, right? Right. 46, seven. Maybe. And that was in the midst of World War Two. was when mm-hmm. he was going to school. So, schooling wasn't probably a Up little different. Yeah. yeah. 
But e- either that or you just didn't give a shit about school. <laughs> Why? Well, they never kept attendance. And probably not. They didn't start calling parents when kids didn't show up until, what, 80s, maybe? Maybe. I don't maybe. know. Did you get phone calls when I... Um, I don't, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, the school would call let me know that you were Missed. on the roster. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you'd have to call. They'd call you in sick. Yes, yes, yes. But yes, they yes. still never gave a shit. Well, I mean, yeah, I remember, I still vivid, vividly remember, it was, we had just moved to Lebanon, I must have been in kindergarten or first grade. Yeah. Getting off the bus and being all alone. And nobody home. Nobody cared. And we, that's the only day yep. we locked the door. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting out there crying. Yep. <laughs> I remember that. I don't think I saw the bus. <laughs> and then, or or the time where I, they went to drop me off and the pigs had gotten out from yes. down the road and she, would, she dropped me off at somebody else's house like it was no big deal. <laughs> Can you imagine if that happened now? They would, Cops would be called. Cops. Oh, wait a minute. There isn't any. That bus driver would be fired. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Around 14, there was a story... That Ken fell from a hay wagon and busted up his skull and had to get a metal plate. This is in a different places, but it's never really confirmed. Yeah. So say he may have gotten a head injury when he was a young teenager. Ah, so they did metal plates back then? That's what I mean. I don't know. Right. Another head injury happened when he was working on a construction site around the age of 18. And this one's more prevalent in all the stories. Yeah. A metal beam fell and hit him in, a head, in the head. Uh, he claims he had a metal plate. I don't know. Yeah. This is a story that, like, you'll hear most of the time. Right. About how he got his head injury. So, the accident also caused Ken to have chronic pain, and he would tell, like I said, people that he had a metal plate put in during this accident. Right, right. But he could be a big fat liar. Yeah, well, seems to be. He is. Yeah. So, by all accounts, he had a metal plate, and he had a head injury. It would explain a lot of his anger issues later in life, but not everything he did did can be explained away by a head injury. Just a bad soul. Yes. So I'm going to talk a little about what the bullshit he did, but when we get down a little bit, head injury does not cause what he does to certain people. Ken started finding ways of making money early in his life that didn't involve him farming for a living (coughs) because Ken did not like to work at all. He hated it. He wanted money, but he didn't want to work for Free it. Free money. He Easy deci- to kill somebody? Or? He decided to steal his way into money. He started out by stealing gas, livestock, antiques, alcohol, and grain. He would pull up to farmer's livestock pens, take what he wanted, and take off. Oh. Because back then in Missouri, you didn't have to brand your animals. Okay, so, so I mean, you wouldn't know whose it, it was. Exactly. And he would sell to people no that proof. didn't ask questions or auction. right. right. He also had a knack for training hunting dogs, so he'd get money for that as well. Ken would choose his victims of his stealing by making sure they were on the poor end of the spectrum. So he would steal he stole, stole so from, from the, the poor, poor people who couldn't get access to good lawyers, and it was easier to get away from this crime. What a jerk. So he was like an opposite of Robin. What a Robin jerk. Hood. Yeah. He may have been illiterate, but he definitely knew how to, like, screw yeah, the system. Yeah, fool people, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's crazy, because... They say he, like, had injury at 18, but he was doing this when he was younger. Yeah, that's that was his train of thought. Especially, like, it started before his head injury, so people are like, well, he maybe had a head injury. I don't think head injury... I, that wasn't no, no. contributing to his maybe, ass nine. Yeah. A farmer who knew Ken had a quote that sums Ken up. He says, quote, I think that Ken simply wanted to be big and important and have people afraid of him. When he walked down the street and he got, he got that, they were. So Instead of having respect. People were terrified of him. Yeah. Trigger warning. So this is what we're going to talk about. We're talking domestic violence and pedophilia. So like I said, the head injury is not going to cause this. Starting in 1952, when Ken was 18 years old, he married a 16-year-old girl named Aletta. So this is before his head injury. He right, married her. Right. He got his head inj- injury when he... They moved away from Skidmore, and he actually tried to get a job. <laughs> this would be the oldest woman he ever marries, or is with. 16? 16. So he's always been a pedophile. hmm Pedophile. After he got back to Skidmore with Aletta, he started right back where he left off, stealing, breaking the law all around Nottaway County. After they moved back, Ken isn't happy being with just Aletta, so he decides to start, quote-unquote, dating. 
and I'm going to use that term very loosely because in his man in his 20s cannot date a 13-year-old girl. I was going to say, was she out of diapers? Yeah, no. 13. 13. And he's in his 20s. 20s. So That's yeah, a baby. A baby. Her a name baby. was Donna. Apparently, everybody knew what was going on and was too afraid of Kenna to try and do anything about it. Was she more than obliged, I imagine? So, I think he groomed him, would yeah, be my yeah. best guess, because uh-huh. I'm going to read quotes at the end of it about, after, quote, spoiler alert, he dies. Right. But the ladies that were with him last, he he had them so, it could have been a cult. He had them brainwashed. He started right. grooming them at 13. Yeah. So, buying yeah. him presents, being nice to him, and then beating the hell out of him, you yep. know, stuff like that. Yep, submission. Ken ran into Donna's grandfather at a bar and went up to him and asked him about Donna, kind of like putting salt into the wound, like, hey, how's Donna? Uh, yeah. Donna's grandfather told him if he didn't stop seeing Donna, then he would call the cops. Well, as we will see, Ken doesn't like to be confronted, just like any other bully. Ken gets all his friends together, they break into the grandfather's house and plan on burning it down. Instead of burning it down, they sit down in the kitchen, make themselves some sandwiches, oh. and when they hear somebody moving it around upstairs, they leave the house unburnt. Oh. So he said that he didn't feel like it. This would be a lucky break for Donna's grandfather, because later in the story, another family didn't get off so lucky with the burning house plan. Oh. A year after this confrontation, Donna gave birth to a child. So at 14... She has a baby. After that, Donna's family got her away from a man who was assaulting her, and she was able to live her life. Oh, so he has... She has an illegitimate child. She has a kid with him, but the family, like, scooted her out, so yep. she didn't have to deal with him. Yep. Next up in the long line of Ken's victims is Sharon. Again, let you remind, let me remind you. He's, so she's 12. Oh, what? No. <laughs> he's still married to Aletta. Oh my goodness. The girl he married when he was 18. At this yep. point, Ken is in his mid-20s and Sharon is 15. Mm-hmm. One day while Ken and Sharon were driving around in his truck, they get into an argument. Ken pulled a gun on her and it either misfired quote-unquote, or he shot it and basically shot her chin off. Oh. She was alive, but she needed stitches. Ken needed to figure out a way for her to stop, um, to stop from pressing charges against him. So what do you think he did? Rape her? Oh, no. They're they're quote-unquote dating. Killer? (laughs) That could have worked. I don't know. He went to Aletta and told her they needed a divorce so he could so marry he... Sharon oh. so she didn't press charges against him. But, and, and she's going to do it. Aletta agreed to oh. the divorce and Ken and Sharon were married in 1958. No, Sharon's going to actually do it. Yeah. Because, like, like I said, he's grooming them. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a professional dickhead. Yep. I, I mean, I don't... He's a, he's a sex... What is that word? Like, he's he's just a... He's a pedophile, for sure. Yeah. So he grooms these women. He did this just so Sharon wouldn't testify against him. And I don't know, I don't think it's a law anymore, but it used to be, if you were married, you, you couldn't, couldn't testify, testify against. Yeah. Yeah. He, I think it might still be. Who knows? Nathan did something fucked up. I would testify against him <laughs> in a heartbeat. <laughs> Ken and Sharon ended up having a baby boy, and in 1961, they also had a daughter. In 1961, Sharon runs away from the McElroy farm and goes to the police station in Maryville. Ken had locked her in the house for two days and was beating the hell out of her. She was terrified, so the police put her in foster home with her daughter. In this foster home, Sharon confides in her foster mother that Ken had started bringing home a 14-year-old girl named Sally. And she had to be in foster with her child because she still was underage. She was 18 at this point. Yep. So Ken needed another girl. She's she's aging out. Ugh. Sharon also told her foster mother that Ken would force all of them to have sex together. So, here's the thing. I don't think for one second, like, any of these girls had a choice. No. Like, he that's... groomed them, he groomed them until they trusted him, and then he just took what he wanted. Oh. Which is sad. This was, this was in the 60s, but I just... I... Women were degraded 
anyway. Yeah. So even if they spoke out, is it? It's their fault. And they're children. They're mm-hmm. children. I yeah. mean, you will find out what happens when some a parent stands up. I'd like to know where the parent is. That yeah, that's the thing. It's a it. Skidmore wasn't a rich town. Right. A lot Everybody of people were poor. poor. Yeah. That's why you bullied them. They like I said, they're groomed by Ken, beaten into submission. He would put on the fake act, pretending to be nice, get him into his clutches, and then he would assault him in every way possible. Mm-hmm. By nineteen, crap out of him, get a younger one, and out yep. the door they go. By nineteen sixty-one, Ken is almost thirty years old. He is a predator in any every sense of the word. Predator. Mm-hmm. The foster parents told the county prosecutor about this, and Ken is charged with domestic ex- abuse. This did not stick, though. Ken found out where Sharon's foster home was and got a hold of her there. He manipulated her into coming back and not pressing any charges. After she was back home with Ken, he beat the hell out of her to make sure she didn't escape again. So, I didn't say about this, but I told you they they had a baby boy uh-huh. first. Ken's... <clears throat> they weren't taking care of the kid, so Ken's sister, one of the sisters, took the kid to California. So, the kid's gone. And that's how he got Sharon to come back. He said, I'll get our son back. I gotcha. Wasn't she pregnant again? No, she had a baby girl. Okay. Ken met Sally, a.k.a. the new victim, when she was only 13. Oh, kind of like So, like, Mikhail's age. Oh, that, oh, okay. That's just... Right? It puts it in perspective to think that... Yes. Can you... And that's why I get so fucking nervous about him online. He gets mad at us, but I'm like... I explained to him that, no, it doesn't matter. It's because you care. You don't know who's on the other end of that computer. Read a, I heard a story on Red Handed about um, these boys. They were, it was like kind of like a, you build your own thing, kind of like the yeah, Minecraft world, right, whatever. Right. And they, this guy was grooming them because they, he made them think that they were a 13 year old boy with them. Like, they yep. were grooming him, grooming him. Oh, come to my house. This happened in England. Come to my house. We're free friends. We're all the same age. Oh, he brought they, him over, got him all drunk. Well, just the one kid. Yeah. He, the kid turned out to be thir- 18, killed him. I remember that story. Yeah, like he he manipulated them, and it's like, oh, your parents are doing this because they hate me, and da 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 da. And the parents knew, like, no, his voice does not sound like a thirteen year old boy, and that just scares me. No, I get like, and it should be scared. It is, and he gets like, oh, why can't I talk to whoever I want? It's like, no, I told I told him said so. (laughs) I told him no. I don't think so. And he's like, probably thinks, oh, it'll be different when there's a new baby. Bitch, no. Especially if I have a girl. If we have, if I have a girl, guess what? Lockdown's even tighter. <laughs> nothing, nothing. And I gave him that watch, and he's like, "Can I wear it to school?" I'm like, "Hell no! You cannot wear this smart watch to school." <laughs> Says I can call, even though I don't have my phone. Well, he can't. His phone has to be near him. <laughs> I know. That's why I said I said you don't have your phone. It's it's like a Bluetooth. <laughs> it he is. Goes, a... No, I can dial. See, and I'm like, guys, go go ahead, yeah, buddy. Okay. Try it out. Call me. <laughs> Um, so he started grooming Sally when she was 13, just like he did all the other girls. He would take her out on dates, but then one time he beat her up so bad that she had to be hospitalized. And instead of bringing her to the hospital, Eh, he left her, uh, dumped her her on her family's floor, ground in the yard. Yeah. So her mother died when she was young, so she was being raised by a single dad. While Sally was in the hospital, Ken found her and told her she had to move in with him, and if she didn't, he would beat the hell out of her dad like he did to her. So this is like manipulation. Mm-hmm. Brainwashing. Yeah. So this is how she ended up living with Ken and Sharon. In total, between the two girls, they had six kids. So if we're thinking, these two girls had six kids, plus I don't think Aletta had any but the, the girl, uh, sat, the first one had another. So that's seven kids so far. Oh. So far. Child support. Nada. All I can think about is the, I feel so bad for them. Mm-hmm. Sally at 14 years old in giving more mo- birth to multiple kids by her abuser. All of this also was happening in a two-bedroom family home of the McElroys. He lived with his parents. Oh. Or they lived... An outbuilding on the property, but it was a two-bedroom farmhouse. That's it. And this is how he grew up with 16 16 kids plus his parents. So 18 people lived in this. So six kids is nothing. And then when the kids got older, they'd bring their spouses and their kids. So it was just like, no. Commune. Yeah. Like a a cult. Yep. 
After Sally had three of Ken's kids, her father ended up passing away, and Ken just basically threw her out. Out of here. She tried to raise her three kids alone, but that didn't work out for her since she was pretty much a child. The kids went into foster care and ended up getting uh, adopted out, never having to live under the Ken McElroy house again. So at least but three still, kids. The yeah, poor mamas. She's a child. She, I'm surprised she didn't get adopted. Right. After Sally moved out, Ken left Sharon to raise her kids at the farm, and he went and moved into a different place with another young girl he had also been seeing mm. since 1961, Alice Woods. He will stay with her. Well, I don't know if he stayed with her, but she talks to a lot to people him. in 1981 after, spoiler he dies. Yeah. <laughs> at the time he started grooming her, she's only 15. He was, as you can imagine, verbally and physically abusive to Alice. By 1968, Alice gave birth to a son, and by this time, Sharon had enough and moved herself and her kids to Florida, fleeing her captor for good. So, if you, these people, as soon as they get out of his clutches and far enough away, or he's preoccupied, right, they run away. Yeah. yeah. And she, she raised them all on her own? I guess. That's as far, I, it's all I know about her, because these people don't want to talk about it. No, they don't want to be known either. No. Um, so Ken moved Alice into the McElroy farmhouse while he was quote unquote dating Alice because you can't date a 15 year old when you're in your 61. So, uh, let's see. He's 30 something. No, almost 30. 61. Oh, so 60. Yeah. He had, she had him by 68. So in 1968, she moved in. So he was 34. Yeah. 34. And she's fucking 15. Oh my God. No. That's gross. Um, well, he was, uh, uh, he also had a bunch of under other underage girlfriends who participated in his crime ring because he had an ongoing crime ring. How else is he going to pay for anything? By now, he was basically had a whole crime ring going, stealing anything and everything. He would use the girls who worked for other farms to give him information like, oh, this person's going away, this person has this much cattle, da-da-da-da. That way. Yeah. Like, informants, basically. Yep. They would also alibi him out of trouble. By nineteen, with me. Yeah. By 1969, Ken had 19 felony charges. They all ranged from violent charges and theft. So, 19, and he's 35. He always beat it, though, with the help of his big city lawyer, Richard Gene McFadden. Well, he had plenty of money. He was stealing it. Yep. He was an expensive Kansas City lawyer, and there were rumors that he was a mob lawyer. Hazel home. Um, his yeah, his specialty was getting Ken out of trouble. We'll get into the tactics that Ken uses to manipulate anyone and try to put charges against him shortly. Because spoiler, he didn't just stick to harassing young women. Oh, here comes the man. He was a bully to everybody. In 1970, Alice finally called the cops. She told the sheriff that Ken was beating her up and chasing her with a gun. The new sheriff of Andrew County took the call and pulled over Ken. As he was searching Ken's car, Alice recants her statement and refuses to press charges. In 1971, (laughs) Alice had had enough and takes her son and runs home to her parents' house. Ken thought she only just had one. Oh. No. (laughs) Ken Uh would not have any of this and started calling the house and threatening everybody who answered the phone. He said he was coming to get their son and if anyone tried to stop him, he was going to kill him. Ken showed up at Alice's parents' house. The only one there at the time was her stepfather, though, because Alice and her mother had gone kind of into hiding. Yeah. He was waiting for Ken. Even so, Ken shot him through the living room window in the leg. So he mm-hmm. shot him. Ken shot him. Yep. Uh, this is Al- the guy that owns a store in town, too, right? No, no. this is different. Okay. God, different. so he gets away with shit. Everything. 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 He, so Alice's stepfather pressed charges he didn't want to let ken get away with shooting him this wouldn't work for ken though so he did everything in it his power to, to get away with him her, get away with the crime <coughs> one his lawyer did everything in his power to get the trial delayed two ken to work went to work oh so he would it. everything's fixed oh yeah ken would sit out in front of this is ken's job now 
from from now on, this is Ken's job. Okay. He would sit out in front of Alice's parents' house for hours on end, staring into the house. He'd rev his engine. He'd hold the rifle out of the window. Uh, as who he was sat, him for that? <laughs> no, this is what he. This is just what he does while his crime ring's running. He. Uh. This is the big boss. He would sit like he would hold the rifle out of the window. He would call the house every day, telling them he was going to kill an entire family. This lasted for almost a year. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Lasted almost a year, and anybody who could drive would be a part of his train of terror. And we'll get into how bad it gets. This, um, like I said, lasts for almost a year. Ken catches Alice's stepfather in the bar in St. Joseph, which is a town over. Yeah. He walks up to the stepfather with a hunting knife and threatens him, telling him to drop the charges or he's going to kill him. Her stepfather declined Ken's request, so Ken left, got a gun, and he told her he locked everyone in the bar. Yeah. And again said, no, I'm going to testify. And he shot him? So Ken, angry, shot at the floor of the bar and walked out. It's like, that's the thing. If you stand up to him... He, he he backs down. Kind of, yeah. So, um, by the time the cops finally showed up, no one saw anything. So, after two years of Ken stalking this family and his lawyer delaying the trial, Alice's stepfather said, never mind, I can't, I can't take it anymore. Yep. And that Ken... Didn't, didn't, didn't testify? No. Dropped the charges, because, you know, that's what Ken and his lawyer planned on. He would have stalked and harassed the family every second until the trial. After all this, Alice goes back to Ken and moves back to the McElroy farm. After two years. She's not too old? Uh, she, well, no. I mean, he does end up staying with people longer, but... Right. Well, he's getting older. It's yeah. harder to find the little babes. Oh. Maybe not? Soon, <laughs> Alice was kicked out to make way for Ken's new girlfriend. And I say this again in quotes, because no way could a child make this decision. Her name was Trina McLeod, and we'll hear from her again. When she met Ken in 1971, how old do you think she is? 13? 12? Yes. <gasps> he, uh, how did the parents even let him get away with this crap? I have no fucking idea. And this is, par- this is a part of the thing, too, that bothers me about this is it's that... Like lost kids. The town kind of knew, and nobody could do... But everybody... There's no cops. They could try to call the cops. They don't do anything. Yeah, obviously. So this is why in the beginning of the story, it's the justice system let the fucking town down hard. He groomed her so much that what happens at the end of the story with her, you'll see how manipulated she was. I feel sorry for her. Uh, yeah. But this time... It's just brainwashed, especially brainwashed. with a kid. That's... 12 years old? That's what you're going to know for life. 12 years old. Yeah. Mikhail. You get to 20, that's Can almost you half your age. Mid-30-year-old woman trying to manipulate Mikhail, I would slitter uh. open. She'd have more than one gash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> gross. <laughs> that was gross. <laughs> By this time... More like a six-pack? <laughs> six-pack again. <laughs> <laughs> By this time, Ken was in his mid-30s. When Trina was 14, she got pregnant. After Trina had the baby herself, the baby, comma, herself and Alice ran away from Ken and went to live with Trina's parents. Now, how old was she when she had the baby? 14. 14? Okay. Took him two years? I guess. Hmm. She probably didn't have her period yet. Probably fucking not. (laughs) They had enough of the constant fear they were living in, so they ran away. That was a problem. He was an abuser, and abusers never like losing control. When they took off, he lost control of them, and he would get it back. Obviously, because they all keep running back, even after two years. It didn't take long before Ken found the girls at Trina's parents' house. He went there and dragged the girls out of the house and beat the hell out of them for leaving. After he did that, he burnt down her parents' house. Oh, my word. Killed her dog. Trina would later say in an interview with People after Ken's death that the house burning down was faulty wiring, which is a load of bullshit. Imagine that. Yes. Faulty wiring just happened when I beat the hell out of you, killed your dog. Yep. Yep. And set your parents' house on fire. Yeah. 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 She was brainwashed, so I wouldn't expect anybody else, any, for her to say anything other than that when she's being groomed by a predator starting at 12. Due to the extensive injuries that Trina faced at the hands of Ken, she was hospitalized. The doctor who treated her couldn't believe what he was seeing and called Child Protective Services. 
Trina was only 15, maybe 16 at the time. She was taken into foster care along with her son. Ken was charged with arson, rape, and brandishing a deadly weapon. So he was charged with arson, yet it was faulty wiring. Oh. Come on, come on. Once again, we meet Kenzler McFadden. He delayed the process for so long that Trina got bored of foster care, ran away back into the arms of her abuser. Ken then got divorced from Sharon and married Trina so she couldn't testify against him. So the cycle continues mm. once again. Ken gets away with heinous crimes before because he manipulates the system. And I say married, but How by you, I mean all the speculations is that he wasn't really married because some of these marriages overlap. So overlap and they're underage. They yeah. yeah, don't they need parent parent consent? I I think so. I'm not. Sh- I'm assuming, but. They, what I read was that some of these might Bridget. not, yeah, they're not real. No. Some, they're, cause she's, she's still just telling them so that they're she's still Trina enough. McCloud in yep. the 80s. So, yep. unless she switched it back, I would. She, no, she, she wouldn't. <laughs> in 1973, um, Ken was on the land of a farmer named Romaine Henry. Romaine tried to get Ken to leave his property, but Ken. Wasn't having it, because you don't tell Ken what to, to do. do. It doesn't matter whose property it is, it's his. So, uh, instead of leaving, Ken turned around and shot Romaine in the stomach. Killed him? No. No. Romaine was able to survive and was all ready to testify against Ken. McFadden, once again, did everything he could to get his client off on charges. They used a criminal case Romaine had 30 years before against him, oh. and many say that Ken also threatened <coughs> members of the jury. Oh, gosh. So he would get the jury list, which fucking... And this is in the 70s. This is, yeah, 73. Why the fuck would you give somebody the the, the jury list? He would go and try to manipulate the jury. And this happens be, in the end, too. They should be unknown and, closed, and behind closed doors oh, shit. for that reason. They should, you should not see them. No, the jury there's sh- no reason why yeah. you should. They can view you. Exactly. Um, so he was acquitted on all charges once again. And I'm sure Ken was feeling untouchable, like he could get away with everything, even attempted murder. Because when he shot the guy, he wasn't shooting for funsies. No, he was shooting you to shoot kill somebody him. in the stomach and with a shoot shotgun. Somebody, you go to jail unless it's you no, know self defense or he whatever. He did not. In nineteen April nineteen eighty, two of McElroy's daughters are at the B and B corner store owned by Ernest and Lois Bowenkamp. We call Ernest Bow. Later, that's yep. what they call him. Yeah. The cashier of the counter saw the younger girl take some candy while the two are on the way to the store. So she's like four, and the other girl she was with like eight or ten. Right. Put that candy back. The, the clerk asked the older sibling, older sibling, either to pay for the candy or return it, please. Yeah. She snatched it out of her younger sister's hands, threw it back in the jar. The little girl started crying, and they left the store in the huff. The older sister of the girl showed up and started yelling at the cashier, saying, how dare you accuse a child of stealing and then make her cry. Yeah. The cashier told the older sister what happened. Like, I didn't make her cry. Right. Your sister ripped it out of her hand. I just asked her to pay for it. Blah, blah, blah. The older sister continued to rant, saying her family would never do business at the store again. They don't want to. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Lois Bowencamp had come out to see what was going on and told the girl, that's fine. And to get out of her store. Yeah. Pissed off, yeah. the girl left. After the cashier and Lois had composed themselves, the cashier said to Lois that those were the McElroy girls. Lois said, okay, and? Like, she, she Lois didn't, didn't grow up in the town, so she hadn't been aware, really, of the McElroy crew, because it's right. a fucking crew. Oh, yeah. Well, now he's got 50 million kids yeah. and 50 but million wives. she was going to be fully aware soon. Next thing was Ken, who was 46 now, and Trina, who was 23, show up in the store. Ken carrying a large hunting knife with him in his hand. Mm. Lois says, you can put that knife away. And Ken, in Ken fashion, says, what? I can't clean my fingernails. And proceeds to clean his fingernails with a large hunting knife. He did this and was staring at them. Gross. So Trina then started cussing out Lois and the cashier, calling them names, telling them bitches. How could you accuse my, you know, kids of stealing? I'm going to kick your ass. And once again, the cashier told the story. Like, listen, this is what happened. After everyone seemed to have calmed down, Ken asked Lois to buy a pack of Pall Malls, to which Lois remembered 
what the daughter said, we won't do business with your store anymore. And she said, no. Yep. We don't do business with your family. And <laughs> she she got pissed. Ken said, fair enough, and walked out. What? He didn't get told no, not especially from a woman. So he would go around town, bad mouth in the store. How could Bo Bowen Camp let a woman tell him run Stop his business? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And well, this is starting, 80s. I know. We're starting to get into the 80s here. Give but me he's, a break. But he's 40-something. 46? Still, in right? the 80s, he's not that much older than me, honey. Well, He's born in 34. 20 years. He's like Momor's age. Yeah. He would have been, sorry. No, he's 10 years older than Momor. Oh, see, there you go. Yeah. Um, So this, once again, started the McElroy Intimidation Train of Terror that would last almost a year. Here they come. Not only did Ken do this, but Trina and any of his children... Who could drive would go drive slowly by the B and B corner store with guns hanging out of the windows. So Ken, Trina, any girlfriends he had, anybody that could drive. Oh, anybody. Yeah. So it would be literal like a constant parade. Convoy of yeah. Not only did he do it to the store, but he did it to the Bowen Camp home as well. Some days he would just sit out in front of their home staring at the house. He would also get out of the car and shoot boom, guns in the air. When the Bowen camps would call the police, Ken would hightail it out of there before they showed up because he had a scanner in his truck. So he would know it, when they, ca- when they called, yeah, yeah, who yeah, yeah. called, all that info. So now we're getting a little more prevy with the police, but yet... Oh, no, it will take some minutes, to, a while to get there. Cause Still. Yeah. Um, he'd know make the call, everything. The Bowen camps tried to file the reports and the cops never did. So they would try to file, and the cops never... Took it down. Yep. Took it serious. The fo- final straw was Lois got a hold of the town sheriff, Dunbar. So this guy, he's a town sheriff. He, he became sheriff on a bet. Somebody bet him a case of beer that he would not he would get elected, and the guy's like, nah, absolutely not. I have no... I, yeah. he, I don't know anything about policing. He had never been a cop, never, and in politics, nothing. He won. Oh, so this poor nobody, sheriff... Nobody wanted the job. Nope. This poor sheriff won on a case of beer. So he's trying to deal with Ken. Dunbar finding Ken in front of the bone camp's house just asked Ken, like, what are you up to? And yeah, are you yeah. shooting a gun in the air? Ken said, nah, it's probably fireworks. So okay. Dunbar went on his way. Okay. But that... Oh, my word. Interaction with Ken put Dunbar in the line of fire... Next. Of Ken, so to speak. So his house became the new attraction on the McElroy And this is a sheriff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're pausing now. Oh, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) They would drive by his place, the sheriff, with guns hanging out of the windows, revving their engines. Let me remind you, they were doing this to multiple people. They were driving through town. They were driving by the bone camps. Yep. All around the same time. And this guy was the town sheriff. So, as you can see, Ken did not give a shit who he messed with at all. Yeah. He wasn't going to be told what to do. He was a full-blown bully and will mess with anyone who gets in his way. Due to the fact that Ken was running his terror train all around town and by the B&B corner store, people stopped going to the store because they're afraid of dealing with Ken. I mean... You'd be his next target. So, like, in our town, if, say... Nature's Way. Or or not Nature's... But like, um... Evan Post. Yes. If he's standing in front of a store, I'm not going to that door. No. He scares the hell out of me. Jesse can deal with. He... You can't. Yeah. No, he's a... He's a psycho. Yeah. He's a full-blown bully. And will mess with anyone who gets his way. Yeah. So, blah, blah. Business went down and the store was struggling. A A quote from Lois Bonecamp pretty much sums it up. You can't know how intimidating it was after that. Before his tribal he, trial, he'd drive up to our house in his pickup at night and just sit there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he'd fire his gun. It was frightening. Also, Lois and Bo are in their 70s. Oh. Yes. July 8th, which is Bo Bo and Kim's birthday. And yeah. three months after the candy incident, so three months of this, Ken catches the Bo in the back of the B&B corner store alley where Bo was cutting up boxes like... Breaking right, boxes down. Right. Ken pays a group of kids five bucks to clear the alley and go get a soda at the D&G Tavern next door. While the kids were in the tavern, they heard a gunshot. Oh, no. The owners of the D&G locked all the doors, stating, well, that's Bo's problem, not ours. 
This is how nobody s- even went out. That's how afraid they were of him. One kid though, yeah, bro- like was like, no, fuck this. He went through the back door and went to check on Bo. Yep. And they found him bleeding out from oh, his wow. neck. Ken had shot Bo in the neck. He meant to shoot him in the head, but by some miracle, Bo turned his head a little bit and he got it in the neck and survived. So he did live. Yeah. In his 70s. That poor guy. The story that Bo told was that Ken walked up to him on the loading dock and asked Bo, are you mad at me, Bo? I don't think so. Bo told him no, he wasn't mad. After that, Ken just kind of hung around. This is the moment he paid the kids to leave, and then he reached in his truck and got out a shotgun. (sighs) Bo asked him to leave private property, and then just Ken leveled the gun at his head. And like I said, Bo had a feeling something wasn't going to go right and turned. Uh, and that's why the gunshot pellets got his neck and not his face. If he would have shot him in the face, he would have died. He would have died. The arresting officer who took Ken, who took Ken in, was his name was Stratton. While Ken was in holding, Stratton's wife immediately started getting threatening phone calls. So while Ken's in Our, the holding, getting processed, they already know who's processing McElroy's him. little crew started calling the people. So he's not the only one anymore. He's got uh, his um, army right yeah. behind him. Yep. All brainwashed and yep, ready. On July 9th, the next day, Ken bonded out of jail using his farm. There were zero conditions on his bond. He could carry a gun. He could do whatever he wanted. With 21 felony charges up to his point... Oh, sure. Hold the gun. He was getting off on all of them. You would think something would bet. You know what I mean? Like, how could he how- have no, no, nothing? You gotta have something. No but- alcohol, no, no drugs. I no, mean- <laughs> he, could, he could do whatever he wanted. He shot a guy in the neck and he was out the next day. This so was, what's going to happen now? He's going to go back and shoot the wife. The, but So, okay, here's this. <laughs> this was because Bo didn't die. Back well, in the day, yeah. I don't, it, in Missouri, it, guilty, you're innocent until proven guilty. So if Bo had died, it would be different. But since Bo didn't die, there had... It's just an assault. Yeah. So the, he would not have gotten off Bond if he died. The score, story that Ten, Ken told was that he went into the alley, minding his own business, and got blocked in by another car. Oh. Bo was sitting there on a loading dock with a butcher knife and started yelling at Ken. <sighs> Ken was not able to hear him, so he turned off his truck so he could hear him, and then his truck wouldn't start. Oh. He gets yeah, out of the right. truck and asks Bo, why are you yelling at me, Bo? Oh. And then Bo charged at him with a butcher knife. He's 70 plus years old. (laughs) And he only shot at Bo to scare him and accidentally shot him in the neck. You're shooting at somebody to scare him, you're going to shoot up. Of course you are. Or down on the ground. Something. Clearly bullshit. I mean, Bo was in his 70s and by all accounts and everything I read, Bo was mild-mannered. Lois was the one that would be the one quick to say anything. Yeah. Bo was quiet, didn't pay no mind. Everybody loved Bo. But it's all his fault anyways because his wife was out of control. Oh, yeah. Also, the kids Ken paid to leave were able to tell the same story that Bo did. Once Bo was out of the hospital, he went into hiding at his daughter's house, Cheryl. They asked for police protection, but they told them no. Of course not. Why not? Why? But Bo, finally bored, wanted to go home. Once Bo was home, his neighbor and a clerk at their store helped keep watch. So Bo, Cheryl, their daughter, yeah. Lois, and the neighbor would sleep in shifts. So somebody was always awake. I wonder why they killed this guy. Boom! No shit. Mm -hmm. They also had a minister named Tim Warren who would come and visit and check on Bo. Yeah. And once Ken found out that the minister was going to visit with them, he started threatening the minister and the minister's family. Calling the minister's family, telling him all sorts of fun stuff he was going to do to them, like slit them open. Who the fuck does that to a minister? Uh, this guy obviously does. So the minister's house then was added to the terror train of terror. So well, this got fifty million now. So this train would leave McElroy Station with anyone who could drive with guns in tow. They would go to the Bowen camps, State Trooper Stratton, Sheriff yep. Dunbar, Minister Warren, drive by the D and B and B corner store, all through town. Yeah. He yeah. was also harassing yeah. the kids he paid to leave the alley. Anyone who was involved in the case, he stalked and harassed. The police told everyone just to ignore it. How can you ignore it? This guy's shooting people at will. As I was reading this, I literally made me think of the incident with Momor. 
Oh, and the tenant. It's, yeah. The intimidation, you big fat piece of shit fuck. Mm-hmm. Thinks you can scare mm-hmm. elderly people, you tough guy, but when somebody stands up for you, you running coward. Oh my God. Running oh coward. Oh my God. Just like a little pussy. I wanted to kick the shit out. Nathan saw him at La Festa. So don't order from DoorDash. He might be a DoorDash driver. Ugh, that's just, well, he's got the only way you can get jobs. Probably you see footage. If it, oh, nobody right. knows, sorry. We're getting off talking, but my grandparents were threatened by a tenant they had who refused to pay. I don't think he paid for, what, eight months? Refused to pay, then was threatening them. Restraining orders. Threatening my husband, threatening my mom. Mm Mm-hmm. He's tried to threaten me, but I don't. It was a piece of shit. Yeah, restraining order. I recorded him, and he tried to get a restraining order on me. (laughs) Tough guy, tough guy, tough guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna say where he's from because I don't want to take Play away, yeah, take away a class of people that I know. Listen, just don't go to Milton anymore. Yeah, don't. There you go. <laughs> don't go to Milton. He does anymore. drugs. He's a bad drug. Oh, and ah, Nathan yeah. said his girlfriend there was just recently arrested. Oh, good. I'll have to look her up again. I yes. can't remember her name, but I Nathan. Will Nathan knows it. I know I'm not gonna say it on here. <sighs> okay, August eighteenth. Won't give him that. Again. No. <laughs> it was the preliminary hearing for the Bone Cap First McElroy trial. Ken's lawyer McFadden was able to argue that they needed a new venue. This uh, that ended up prolonging the trial until December 1980. So, this is what McFadden does. This is why Ken pays him big. He, McElroy was released on thirty thousand bond. This time with conditions: he was to leave the bone camps alone, not trying to contact them, not act like a menace. And he wasn't allowed to leave um, Skidmore. Okay. But they all live in Skidmore. That's the thing. But his lawyer lived in Kansas City. So he couldn't go to Kansas City to meet with his lawyer. So how to, to delay it some more? That's ridiculous. Get a different lawyer. He started threatening everybody who could potentially testify against him, except for the Bowen camp for a time anyways. Yeah. In Missouri at this time, they couldn't put into evidence the way McElroy had been acting... Unless he ha- it had to do with the crime. So any way the McElroy had been harassing or acting to the Bowen camps couldn't be entered into evidence. So the jury wasn't able to see how much of a bad guy Ken was. I wonder why it wasn't couldn't be added into evidence. That's because it's bad. Um, bad stuff. Like I know they, they couldn't done... They couldn't enter the candy incident because then it would look like Bo had a reason to threaten. Mm-hmm. So the prosecutor thought maybe it would be best if we don't, does stuff like that. It's just like when somebody gets um, not convicted but accused of killing somebody, but they can't bring that one up when they're accused of somebody else. Exactly. It's Ridiculous. just like, yeah. They didn't want to make it easier for him to get off. It basically. Be, yeah. So... What was presented to the jury was that Ken was this poor hog farmer who got lost in Skidmore, even though he lives in Skidmore, uh, and was attacked by this angry shop ho- owner. He was never charged with a dis- <laughs> he was never charged with attempted murder. <coughs> the jury could only decide on first or second degree assault. So, yeah, because he's not dead. Yeah. So the jury convicted Ken of second degree assault, and I guess I don't know if it's the same, but back then. You, the judge couldn't, you could lower the time, but you couldn't raise it. So the okay. the judge, if he had known about it, could have raised it. Right. But back then, you couldn't. So. <laughs> this came with a two-year sentence, so he could be out within eight months on good behavior. That's ridiculous. So, Missouri law, I don't know if it's still this way, at the time, allows 25 days for a defendant to file an appeal for a new trial, and that person can walk free until it is rejected. That could last for months. Even though Ken was convicted, he was out and free and back drink- drinking at the D&G Tavern the next fucking day. Give me a break. On June 30th, Trina and Ken walked into the D&G Tavern, brought a loaded, chambered rifle... With a bayonet on the end, talking about he was going to murder Bo and cut him in half. Now, let me remind you. Ken is out on bond awaiting an appeal on another trial. So, okay. he appealed the trial. He wants right. a new trial. Right. So, yeah, until he's proven again. Mm-hmm. A ton of people saw and heard this. One person who heard this stood up 
and stood up was Pete Ward. He was an army vet, and he told Ken and Trina, the hell you fucking are. Yeah. He, what, Pete went home, got a rifle, and sat out in front of the B&B corner and store. And waited. Corner and store for protection, just to protect Bo, because yeah. Yeah. people knew, if this he, is what Ken's saying, he's going to do he's it. He's going to do it. Seeing this display of strength against him made Ken back down and leave. Four men that witnessed it signed an affidavit saying they saw Ken and Trina with a gun and threatening Bo. They brought it to police, and the police, once again, did nothing. Oh, well, it's just kids playing. Um, There also was a petition going around town to get him out, to, like, make him leave. town, yeah. Yeah. Ken tried to go after the people who signed the paper, but at this point, his hate was just spread too thin. Like, too thin. Yeah. In the same style as always, Ken's lawyer, McFadden, was able to get the July 9th, 1981 hearing about revoking his bond pushed back for two weeks. This scared the locals who were willing to testify because they knew Ken what He'll be there. he was capable of, and Ken seemed to be losing it a bit more than usual lately. He was threatening a minister, a sheriff, a state trooper, a whole family, and a new group of witnesses. So this is like 30 people. Never mind the little kids running in the yard. Right? In Ken's mind, it was him against the town, and he was going to win. A town meeting was called where upwards of 50 people attended in hopes to come up with a plan to protect the witnesses willing to testify against Ken. So, there was a sheriff there. I don't know who it was. It wasn't Dunbar, because Dunbar said he's done. Yeah. He quit. Yeah. So, it might have been an out-of-town sheriff. It could be the state or whatever. They said, well, form a neighborhood watch. (laughs) Like, fucking kidding me? (laughs) And, um, since the hearing was delayed, and Ken knew who the witnesses were, there was a sense of kind of like doom falling over the town. The town of Skidmore was scared, and they had enough. Everybody was a witness. 40 years, Ken had been making the town of Skidmore and his red in, residence basically his bitch. Uh, like, he, he was the big guy in the yard. the town. Pretty much. He was the king in his own mind, and he didn't fall in the line. He would take what he wanted. Not only was he shooting multiple people and getting off, he was a pedophile. All of his girlfriends he started grooming before the age of 13. He was a disgusting person. That's my thoughts. I'm wondering if he did anything with his own children. He did have some girls. So, in the documentary, the kids all say he was a great dad. Ooh. But, of course, when How somebody you, it's dies... It's though. But, but somebody dies, you don't... You always talk people. Yeah, you don't want to say anything. This guy was a piece of crap. Period. Yeah, End of well. it. That's my opinion. You can we form do. your own. <laughs> <laughs> On July 10th, 1981, there was another meeting at the American Legion Hall that was located across the street from the DNG tavern which was their hangout yep the plan was to talk about once again how to protect everyone from the mcelroy train of terror for the next two weeks in their hearts though they knew it was going to be much longer since mcfadden was able to delay the trial like a pro Uh uh-huh the town was it was what minimum of two years well two years eight months good behavior but they now no i meant he the the, oh yeah he kept kept delaying. delaying yeah the town was upset about the police once again let them down. They talked about a neighborhood watch like they did before, and they wanted to take a stand since no one else was going to help them. I wanted to preface this by saying what happens next was never in talks at the meeting. Everybody that was at the meeting said what happened was not planned. This was not a plan. We're not talking about it right now. <laughs> well, they. this wasn't premeditation. What right. happened was... A couple people, we'll get, we'll get there. Okay. They okay. did. They didn't plan on this. They didn't plan on the whole plan. They didn't. They planned on. <laughs> they, plan, they didn't plan on the plan. They didn't plan on the end part of the plan. The beginning part of the plan. They were. They're they good. started to. But so it ended they wanted up different. Yeah, they wanted to take a stand and let Ken and his little posse know they weren't afraid of him anymore. And usually, that's how you're going to handle a bully. You, All right. You stand, you stand up. up to him. Take away the power. Ken Ken was at the D&G Tavern while this meeting was happening. When it was over, 50 or 60 people left the Legion Hall. Uh, About 20 people went into the tavern and kind of like... Surrounded him. Surrounded him and was like... We're not taking your shit. Yeah, we're we're done. Get the fuck out. I don't think even they talked to him. They kind of just kind of grilled him. So him and uh, Ken and Trina got up and left. The group, um, they felt the strength in numbers. Well... Uh, the 20 of them were in the bar. Another 40 were outside. Because of the show of force, Kevin and Trina left without saying a word. The group outside just kind of stood around staring. Like, in the documentary and stuff, it's just like... Two sides part not, while they walk out really, the door. Not really. Like, just like a 
people just standing everywhere. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like, I don't know, Children of the Corn, where you look into a field and you just see a bunch of people kind of like, yeah. Yeah, yeah just like sporadic. Yeah, just everybody standing around. Distance, you know. So they, just, <laughs> they're they just standing around staring at them. Basically doing what Ken and McElroy, the Train of Terror, did. They would just stare at them. Ken and Trier got in a trend's truck. He turned his truck on, lit a cigarette, and as he was taking a drag, shots rang out. Shot her, and then shot himself. No. Okay. Ken was hit in the back of the head. I already know. Yeah. <laughs> Blood sprayed all over inside the truck. Trina's door was open, and she was dragged out of the, to safety inside the local bank. She was in shock, but she wasn't injured. That's how you know that it wasn't her that they were after. They were just after him. Yeah, they were after him. They, the shots, there was... He made, he made her. They can redo yeah. her. Well, I don't know, but... Well... But she's dead. Is she? Uh, she died in 2012, cancer. Pre- spoiler. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, the bullets that killed him came from two different guns. So, there's two different people that did it. Uh-huh. Um, after he died, his foot, like, dead foot, slammed on the, on the gas, yeah. and it kept, it revved and revved and revved until yes. it died. Nobody called an ambulance. Would you? No. And no. Uh, Even Ken, if he was suffering because he, he put oh, suffering. He, oh, on, he was shot right in the back of the head. He was yeah, dead. He, he, when the EMTs finally showed up, he was pronounced dead. The author of a book about this case, um, I think it's called Nobody Saw a Thing. Yeah. Um, spent time in Skidmore with the residents and interviewed a lot of people about the case. His name is Henry saw a thing. Harry McLean. Okay. The author was quoted telling Inside Edition, whatever had been done might not be normally morally right, but he needed killing. Yeah. Not a one of them felt sorry for him. Not one of them felt bad. Somebody was going to get killed. It was either going to be him or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the author of the book. Mm-hmm. It had been 40 well, years. Well, that's, that's what pretty much his vibe he got from them. Exactly. You know, nobody gave a shit about him because he was a reign of terror. So he died in 81. It's been 40 years since Ken McElroy was killed. Not a single person has ever been convicted of a crime. The whole town, everyone involved, kept their mouth shut. If they knew, they never told. This changed... they weren't looking too hard either. The FBI came. Did... uh, Yeah. This changed the whole town and everyone involved. I can't say it was for the worst. I think the stress level of the town was finally down and they weren't afraid anymore. Trina and Alice did do interviews with People Magazine after the killings and the quotes... They gave her not what in reality happened. So I'm going to read you. It's from Alice. Quote, Ken was totally different from the way they are saying he was now. Oh, he was wild, but he wasn't guilty of all these things they say. He was honest and generous. I never knew him to steal anything, ever. Unquote. Trina? <coughs> Bullshit. Trina? Alice. Alice. The one oh. we beat the hell out of. Yeah, I, I don't get that one. Like I said, that's so she was in the hospital too. Yeah. She was in he, one yeah. of the other she, ones. She was there that. when he burnt down Trina's parents' house. And Trina, in 1981, People Mag said, quote, The officers were always hassling him. They'd accuse him of anything, even things I know he didn't do because I was with him. They just hated him because he wouldn't kneel down to them. End quote. Okay, because he expected them to kneel down to him. Exactly. She definitely was brainwashed. All brainwashed. So Teresa Bowenkamp, which was Lois and Bo's daughter. Yep. Um, why did I say Cheryl? Okay. It's either Teresa or Cheryl. Quote, once the shroud of silence fell, there was going to be no one talking. They could be pushed and dug and pushed and dug and gotten nothing. We were so bitter and so angry at the law for letting us down that it came to somebody taking matters in their own hand. No one has any idea what a nightmare we lived, unquote. So it's like two, this person was dealt with the train of terror. The other two were part of the train of terror. Exactly. So well, it's like, just like, um, it's a bully. Manson's, Manson's. He clan. never killed anybody. Well, they all did. The well, girls did. No, the girls did, but he speculated may have killed somebody, but he never actually killed anybody. Yeah. I, I hate people call him a serial killer. I'm like, no, he was a He's cult not, leader. He was a cult leader that yeah. made made people kill people. Exactly. And the biggest one was Helter Skelter. Uh, he spelled it wrong, you know. Huh? I, yeah. <laughs> I knew that. Uh, Sharon Tate. Yes. Because yes. Oh, she was pregnant. pregnant. Oh, yeah, and she was young. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've She's ever tried beautiful. Google. 
Google her movies or anything. Um, there's she a movie called, movie. I think it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It has Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. They, um, it's kind of, she's... Backgroundish. A, yeah, they're in it. Also, remember we were talking about The Only Murders in the Building? Yes. Oh, it's on. Shoot, I know. It's on. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. It was last night, too. I, there's like three episodes, three or four. I started yeah. watching it, and then I'm like, no, I gotta I gotta be awake, because it was like 2 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. So, okay. I know. I gotta watch it. I gotta watch it, because, yeah. Oh, looks, I, I love like Steve Martin, Martin Short. Oh, my God. They're my favorite. And, and, yeah, and she's good with them. I love Selena Gomez. She's adorable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Okie dokie. Free, free press for that mo- show. Uh-huh. But I mean, uh-huh. it's about, there's a podcaster, there's a author, and I don't, I think, I don't know what she does, but it's I know Martin Martin Short plays a podcast. They're, they're, they're the beginning, just funny. The beginning, they're listening to a podcast. So it's... <laughs> See, I haven't even started. Oh, I see. Anything, so I was shut like up. 10 minutes into it. That's yeah, about no, it. no. I yeah. know these women were groomed since they were 12, so they didn't know any better. I hope in their later lives they found peace. Trina was the only one who did end up talking to the police, and she claims to have seen Del Clement level a rifle at Ken right before the killing. Del Clement was a part owner of the D&G Tavern. Okay. Um, but he, but okay. there's no evidence, and no one would agree with her statement, so nothing happened. And if there's other people with rifles in their hands, who's to say? But nobody, nobody would agree. No, uh, The FBI came in, found nothing. Couldn't. Yeah. They could, there was nothing. She did try to sue everyone involved, the town, the police, and even Dell for a couple million, but only ended with 17,000. In the end, I can't say this was vigilante justice or it was something that needed to be done because I can't say murder. Right. Is what needed to be done. But vigilante, maybe? If, well, was, if you figure 40 years, nobody cops said were called, felonies were pushed. But nothing was done. Exactly. So what do you do? What uh, do you do? You you can't go around murdering people, but but they more than tied twice, him up, they thrown can... him in a cave and gave him food once a day. Like didn't that happen to our great grandma? My great great grandma? Something like that. <laughs> um, well, no, he just got a pregnant. And stole her. Yeah, pretty pretty much. much. <laughs> pretty much. Well, I got a weird family. I should look into that for a bit. I think that was Nikki. <laughs> Nikita's? I think that was, that was in Greece, right? It happened yes. in Greece, yeah. When that was I'm okay only to the do. the second, second, so you're the third generation. Yeah, because Papu's first. Big Papu was is Greece. Yeah, so my Papuli was the first, first gen. born yes. here. Yeah. Okay, where am I? So, I, I mean, you can't say murdering was the right thing to do, but quite more than twice, Ken tried to murder people, and he got away with it. Yeah. Luckily, yeah. the people he tried to kill survived, but still, can you, you imagine? You, he could have killed hit, these people. You hit flesh. Yeah. I you think, know? I think this town was on the brink, and Ken was a terror. Ken was a terrorist. That would be uh-huh. my... He's a cult leader, a terrorist, whatever. Oh, he bred his cult. Oh, he did. That's pretty sad. You may form your own opinions, but from everything I read... Ken was a terrible person and should have been in jail. I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. Since yeah. the justice system failed over 21 times... This town did what they thought best. His lawyer was quoted as saying, for every, for as long as he was his lawyer, th- at least three times a year, felony charges came against Ken. Three times a year. Since, since the what, fucking <coughs> 50s? And only like 19 or 21 of them stuck out of all those. No, none of them stuck. He none n- of them oh, stuck? Except for this last one where you shot Bo. This poor 70 year old man. Is take it that far. It's insane. So that's so sad. Ugh. So you like I said, form your own opinions. Clearly me and my mom agree that this guy sucks. An asshole. Wicked asshole. And oh my his grave. Okay, you talk for a second. I'm gonna get the piece of paper. Of his grave? Yes, I want it. It's not just a flat stone in the ground. It's a flat stone in the ground, but it says some funny shit. Well, who wrote it? All his kids, his 50 million kids and 50 million little girl wives. Uh-huh. 50 million little girl wives and children. I know. Oh, man. I threw it away. Son of a bitch. I did see it. It said something like fearless and honest or some bullshit. Uh, I think I saw it when I Googled. Did you? Um, yeah. Uh, <sighs> grave sites. Yeah, it... It was like bull is bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. And like I said, there's a documentary his family like tells about what a great dad he was. 
Oh my god. But, that's called brainwash. But people I mean, don't how long like did it s- take before the uh, Manson clan finally They still don't talk. They st- they I've seen um like Barbara Walters interview, so we're talking yeah. years ago and they still were like in La La Land. They spent I listened to something about him. They spent like lots and lots of time on drugs too. Oh yeah. He was L S D. They did it. There was a movie you wanted, I think it was Benedict Cumberbatch played him. He plays Sherlock. Oh. <laughs> so don't forget to check us out on Facebook at the Macabre Family Podcast, on Instagram at Macabre Family. You can email us at macabrefamilypod at gmail.com and check us out on TikTok at the Macabre Family Podcast. Thank you for all for the support. Thank you for listening. Keep it spooky.